This time on TNT. Good morning. A healthy way to process love and loss. We play talk shows again. And did Indigo and I catch a real live leprechaun in our leprechaun trap? Find out now on TNT. Hello. There he is. Hello, guy. <laughs> guy. What are guy? the things? Hi, you, guy. What are the things you don't like being called? Uh, buddy and bud. I feel like hey, bud. I feel like buddy can be really like, pointed if you don't know the person. Oh yeah. Like, hey, move, buddy. Yeah, it's like Jack calling. What's up, Jack? Right away, like there's an issue. Oh wow! (laughs) Hey, settle down, Jack. If somebody calls you Jack, you might need to like get ready for something. Wow! (laughs) Even though I named my son Jack, it makes it easier. Hey, easy there, Jack. Yeah. Um, I remember. Keep it off me, Jack. Mark Farrell, a stand-up comic and uh, Canadian TV writer, Corner Gas, 22 Minutes kind of guy. Um, one of his jokes was, uh, our son's name is John, but we call him Jack for short. I mean, not that short. <laughs> I don't know how Jack became a nickname for John. Yeah, it's an old nickname for John. And, hey, I got a John and I got a Jack, and they're both very different. But... People were like, "Why'd you name the kids the same?" My my mom. So wait, that's widely known. Yeah, my mother's my mother's dad was John Bell, but he was Jack, and everyone called him Jack. So I guess it's more old school that John is Jack. I wonder how that started. That Jack is short. It's like a peg short for Margaret. It's like Jim and James, that kind of vibe. John, Jimmy, because there was there there was no Jack, but there was probably a, I guess a Jackson. I'm not sure. We need a an age guy, Jackson, a, a name guy, a namist, a namist. <laughs> they always change it. The, the word changes yeah, when yeah. you're doing it for a living. <laughs> Do you know he's a namist, but he's oh. also a saxophonist. I play flute, but I'm a flutist, a flautist. Flautist. <laughs> I flaunt myself. I'm a flautist. So, bud, I, I, um, I don't know what the uh, uh, numbers are associated with a viral tweet, but I, I tweeted this sentiment I had this week um, about how uh, when I was a kid, after my dad died and I played hockey... I, I remember I would put on my skates in the kitchen and sometimes walk through the field with skate guards on. And by the time I got to the rink, my skates were pretty loose. Oh, yeah. So I just remembered a few of the dads on my team in the weeks and months after my dad died. Um, not in a huge uh, making a production number out of it way, but just in a quiet way, like me tighten your skates. Like if they were kneeling at the kid next to me, um, they just yeah. say, hey, like, want me to tighten yours? And I shared this as a, a little memory of this this tiny act of kindness. And and the phrase that I used was fill the gap. Like, these people s- stepped up and filled the gap. 
and how that's a good thing that you can do in life and be in the world as someone who fills the gap where you see one. And it it went bananas and it triggered a lot of people saying um, there there were a couple of stories that I found especially moving. One was uh, a, a, a woman who said when she was 12, her mom died. And the society woman down the street every Friday afternoon would send her kids out to do something. And then she would have this young girl over and taught her how to make recipes, like how to make a spaghetti sauce and and, um, gave her skills that she would need and could use and then sent her home every Friday with dinner for her and her siblings. Like what a a beautiful image of awareness and, and kindness that is. So I was trying to figure out what what is at the root of this particular sentiment that really reg- registered and landed with people, resonated. And I think part of it is because, uh, you know, in Canada, hockey and hockey families and hockey culture really speaks volumes. I think also yeah, because sure. at this moment, um, people, uh, as a buddy of mine said, it's not enough to do a good thing. You have to shout it from the mountaintops these days so everybody knows you did it. And just the idea that these people who wouldn't traditionally be big and demonstrative uh, in their loving gestures would do something quietly, it's just so caring and such such, uh, proof that the smallest things really often mean the biggest things. And how I remember, um, I don't know why it's been on my mind lately, that period of my life, but it's the little things like that that I remember. I don't remember the big things. I remember when people were kind and didn't have to be, or uh, looked out for me in a small and subtle way. It's Mm -hmm. almost like when you were saying about mental health issues, you don't need a friend to call you and ask how you're doing. All you think about is how you're doing. You need someone to call you and tell you a joke or distract you or bring up a nice memory or something. And I I think it, it was the same in this context. Like, I didn't like it when adults looked at me with sad eyes or like people felt bad for me because that felt made me kind of defensive and made me feel like they were judging my life. Whereas what I really needed was for people to do things for me that I couldn't do myself. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's it. That's why when it's legitimized by the the way it, you know, it's just a, a small thing and everybody's kind of being cool with it instead of like, a production because it's it's a uh, you've you've obviously at that point going through a severe trauma and when you're eight or nine years old trying to deal with a loss like that and you don't really understand what life is period yet it, it it's uh it's it's a huge thing and it's great to have people around that can at least fill those gaps that's really important yeah I, I mean you- it, it's you yeah. don't necessarily want to talk about it. And and I know, um, and maybe this was your experience too, when things like that have happened in your life and uh, people um, show up or you haven't seen people in a while and you're dreading like, oh, just please don't ask. Please don't ask me because I don't really want to talk about it. And yeah. um, I, I remember exerting a lot of energy making people around me feel okay about the fact that my dad died. And I remember Sarah Dunsworth saying that too, when her dad died, people are so fond of John. 
imagine everywhere you go, people want to share their stories of Mr. Leahy and how funny he was and how yeah. uh, they watched it in college and how he made them laugh or they bumped into him at Sobeys once. And they're beautiful remembrances, but that would be really emotionally exhausting to go through uh, listening to that many people over an extended period of time everywhere you go want to tell you about what your dad meant to them. It's well-intended, but it's just a good reminder that um, we should extend that courtesy. Like, no one knows what to say. There isn't the right thing to say. Um, yeah. But it's it's just well, a good think, reminder that maybe the person I who's going through it doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think that's how it, things in, in public, when you see people, um, their, their happiness, and if they see you smiling, is kind of an open door for them to tell you what they love about you or people that they know that you that are famous and, you know, your de- famous father. I, I can see that uh, wanting to, to tell them that. And... Uh, it, it's just uh, it's just one of those things, right? People, it's a, it's a, <laughs> the show's so big, and you're gonna have you when you affect people's life, especially with humor. Uh, that's what makes it kind of. Uh, I can see how people don't even think about it because they think it's so great and they love it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've been going through like my dad's anniversary of passing was yesterday. And uh, two years, two years. Hard and, to believe, eh? Yeah, I mean, it, I, I, I kind of woke up in the same feeling, kind of knowing last the night before that it would be the anniversary because I remember being in California and getting my mom calling me on the phone that morning. So I just kind of had that feeling of loss, but this time there was two years of time, so. There was, uh, there, you know, the, the first time that it happened, you just spoke to them. You just saw, just hugged my dad, like within a month or two of that time. So, so when there's two years of none of that, it that's why I think it hits people harder later is because, you know, you, you mourn the loss of just a hug or, or to hear their voice, so you you know, you you uh, try to visualize them perfectly and maintain that, so you don't forget, uh, and and to hear the sound of their voice because those things start to deteriorate, and that's what really uh, impacts you. So then you have more of a feeling of loss. So I had a rough morning, <clears throat> just kind of missing him, you know, and mm. uh, that's. That's the problem that we all have to deal with with loss is just it's, it doesn't uh, heal itself. You think you're fine. It's just uh, getting used to it, getting used to a, a big issue. <laughs> it's not like, oh, it's okay, it's all good. Your focus is to try and uh, forget about it, to be honest, just to put it away. Because it's it, every time it comes out, it's... Uh, really an impactful it's, it's like looking at old photos of 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 my kids or you're looking at pictures of your four or five years ago it's it's knocks you out already just like the how time goes and that alone 
the loss of, of the innocence and the memories and not remembering that picture and the whole day that went around it, like 10 years from now, our kids will be gone, you know, so it's, it's in, in, out on their own lives. And it's just that, that all kind of gravitates to, to your, your heart and pulls every string, you know. I had so much loss early in life. Um, lost my dad when I was uh, uh, eight. Um, my, lost my grandmother, which is often along with pets, like the, kind of the first loss that people experience. And then when I was 12, my cousin Lars, who was my age, um, died uh, of a brain aneurysm really suddenly. Damn. So by the time yeah. I was 13... I had you were kind of coasting numb, the hard numb coasting. Well, this That's is the this like, is the interesting question. Um, I am supremely optimistic, as you know, Mr. Brightside from way back. And I think to a degree, it's because that's how I'm wired and that's how I arrived here on the planet. Kind of a good-natured, happy person, uh, like to see the good in things and people. But I bet it could also be argued that that is a finely developed muscle as a coping mechanism born out of necessity. When I was a kid, I remember when my dad died thinking, this is fine because I Mm -hmm. bet I'll be stronger and more independent. Like that was my, maybe not my first reaction, but that was the, um, that was the emotion that swooped in. I'm imagining Ricky Fryett listening to this and and having um you know research and analysis to uh support or explain this to me but but early on quickly after it happened i remember thinking i'm gonna be fine this is fine in a way i bet it's probably even better so how much of that is who i am and how much of that is uh what i had to do but Mm -hmm. it certainly informed my approach to the planet earth and we've talked before about i think in uh, one of Malcolm Gladwell's books, he was talking about how kids that have lost a parent early on um, tend to achieve uh, good things in life, partially because if the worst possible thing has ever happened to you already, then as an adult, when you're like risk reward, well, nothing is going to be worse than what's already happened. So I might as well go for it. Yeah, which kind of makes perfect sense. It's also really important, and I've been finding helps um, through loss, is uh, the importance of, of giving time to, to, to mourn, whatever it, it is, you know. Um, and it, at least whether it's like through, you know, meditation or slow breathing with thoughts, uh, positive thoughts, not the coulda, shoulda, woulda thoughts, the legitimate positive ideals and reasons and what you loved and 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 uh, memories uh because that that if you do that once in a while on various topics of loss like it also builds a foundation to kind of ease that a little bit because it's huge and massive and doesn't end but it's also a pit that that deserves the work of trying to shovel and and fix because um there, definitely you can you can av- avoid it but there's 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 a there's a time and a place and a reason for dealing with the, just the, the loss and the 
the uncomfort of that and and trying to get to the center of it in a in a positive manner and uh i think that that's one thing that that uh might might be lost if you're consistently go to is to not think about it you know what i mean yeah so it's just i I just know i've learned there's a difference of because i definitely did probably six months between my dad and brother of like putting it off the thought of it and that to me in the end you know did create some damage in that regard because you you start to uh harm your true feelings of like when you're happy and when you're sad it's like is it real is it real happy is it you know what i mean if you're consistently uh covering up and and putting what you think is your best face forward when it could be just uh uh, putting it off in a sense and i'm not saying you do that but i'm saying uh it, it it does take make sense it to uh to give yourself the time to heal too and that in the positive way. Well, that's the thing. And it's also, isn't it reasonable that it would be too much for you to process all at once? And if you needed to turtle a little bit just to get through the days now and then, that's pretty understandable. Like I remember yeah. at, at Lars's funeral, as I said, he was 12 and his um, Boy Scout troop came in uniforms and it was an open coffin and it was in their living room and it was mm. all too much. It was too much. And I was standing um, looking at him and his dad came up behind me and put his hands on my shoulders and said, Lars loved you so much. And I remember thinking, why Why are you doing this? It's so hard already just to be here and to wrap my head around the fact that this happened. But he wanted me to feel it. Well, and if he hadn't, then you wouldn't know you wouldn't know that from his perspective, which is huge to hear from a family member that something like that, right? But think how how loving and selfless that gesture was. Yeah, he's well, he's dealing with the sudden loss of his own son, and he's trying and, to hold me up. And no, and even knowing that you might realize, hey, this is too much, but realizing, no, you need this right now. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I did, and I felt like I was going to faint, and I went outside, and uh, it was one of those, I, I've never had that feeling um, since. Yeah. But suffice well, to say... That's, that, that's you know, sorry, but like, you know, your upbringing was different than most. Your mom, it wasn't a typical situation mom styles, yeah. and similar to myself, but you were kind of your own boss once your, your dad was gone in terms of... Uh, how to rule your life and that that you kind of became an independent contractor on a lot of fronts (laughs) and for sure so that that's uh and you know and you when other parents helped out and i'm sure like to not have your father going through that situation that's and your mom being a little bit kind of uh, a step a step away in a sense you know yeah i was Uh, lucky to have older siblings um around and the other crazy thing is it never felt weird or sad or uh untraditional because you have nothing to compare it to and and i have to remember that with our girls who uh have a pretty on paper pretty great life 
there have lots of people that love them and they don't worry about food and um you know they they have friends and they get to be in activities and all, all the stuff but when they are uh struggling with things that are very real in their mind you can't just dismiss it as well that's nothing compared to what i went through <laughs> Because it's mm-hmm. it's all relative, and it takes up no, as much sure. real estate in their minds as uh, something bigger or different did in mine. Yeah, you don't need loss to be like understanding. Yeah, it, th- th- that's a thing. Like people that have have been lucky enough to not have anyone die in their family or their grandparents even still. Um, it, that's it's you know there when there's that empathy there like it doesn't someone doesn't have to to go away for you to get that so well that you bring up sense. a good point which is um like death isn't the only thing that you need to mourn um yeah. you know change no, of any kind sure. totally like me, me uh, leaving this house I, I i've been putting it off and putting it off <laughs> they because you know, building it and seeing it from nothing to where it is in 20 years of time, it's uh, it's going to be hard to walk away from this place, just, yeah. just in terms of the memories. I'm looking forward to starting more in another place and a whole different thing. That's great. But it uh, it's when you build a house from nothing, it really, uh, and you see your kids grow up in it, it's, 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 it's going to be tough for sure. And that will, you know, then again, that'll be something you have to to feel, sit in, and mourn. Change, yeah. It's life, yeah. bud. It is like and when indigo. You see it your kids' eyes. It's indigo like, I don't know. doesn't like change. Yeah. So she asked me if we could move her desk from one side of her bed to the other and switch it out with like the play stuff that was on one side, and and so just kind of dosy do them, and I did. And she was really bummed because even though she had asked for it, it was <laughs> different and she change. doesn't like change. So I was like, you know what? Give it a couple of days and then we'll see how it goes. And sure enough, Too after a couple change. of days, we moved it back. <laughs> he put it back. See, it? They, they probably would have an issue with moving. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like if, sure. you, if you had to move, you couldn't move schools, right? Like they, they'd be like, what? My friends? Well, I I don't know. Suge would be up for it, and Indy probably would not. And that's where the complication oh, really? begins, right? Interesting. Yeah. From the time she got here, I'd say to Suge, like, hey, do you want to go to Home Hardware? And she's like, <gasps> now? Like, she just well, wants you... to go and do and meet people and hang. Um, do you think it's because it's old, being older? Probably. Yeah, maybe. Like, if maybe in a couple years, Indy will be, like, all over it, too, right? Hopefully. Who knows? I mean, because it's always uh, you, you prefer the uh, the spirit of like, okay, let's go and see what happens. And it makes sense that Indy, being younger, homebody, uh, wants to wants to keep things right and straight. No, no changing things up. I gotta keep an eye on it. Yeah, <laughs> she's a homebody. She needs downtime. Suge wants to party. Like trying to um, encourage Suge to like, you know, in life, you need to do things by yourself. You have to be comfortable with your own company. There will be times that like there's the mama say mama sa mama kusa isn't yeah. on. Like, you, what are you gonna do then? So she's uh, experimenting with like, all right, well this is okay. I can do stuff by myself. You want to watch me read? Like, no, yeah. you, 
You can Ooh. you can read. You can probably read. <laughs> I can think reading going on. Yeah. Like Anna reading the Jughead and the Archie's books. Is she? Oh, she's been crushing those for years. She's into it? Well, Lisa had a box of old ones from the 80s from when she was a kid. And uh, I used to read them when I was like I a, did too. A kid. So there's a was a box and he, all of them. John, Jack, and Anna grew up on those things. Those stupid storylines that like <laughs> how many different comics and books they've made. Juggy and Ronnie. Do you know? <laughs> yeah. it, as I mentioned, we watched uh, some of the classics. As I know you guys have done too, and I was a little protective of them because I thought they would be like, wait a sec, no one has phones, or look how nerdy those sweaters are. They don't ingest stuff like that at all. Like kids, no. kids are just so all in on. Okay, is there's a thing that shrunk the family? Yeah, uh, it was really interesting. <laughs> I, I think it's funny that my kids don't care the difference between 4K and HD and that. That they're getting more now, but when they were younger, they didn't care about picture quality. Right. That was one thing I didn't understand, but yeah. Well, that changed. That was the thing with Trailer Park. It became harder and harder and harder to make it look like garbage because cameras improved so much. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to play well, you... talk shows again, yeah. right? Yeah, let's do talk shows again. Um, <laughs> people liked it. Yeah, I'm going to. Uh, do you want, do, I got the jams. I got some tunes. Okay, are you going first? Yeah, I'll, I'll start. Okay, sure. if you didn't hear the last episode, here's how it works. Jared plays yeah. a song, and you have to leap into uh, being the into host a of a talk show. show. That that song sounds like it would inspire. Exactly. Okay, so let's rock. Let's rock. Here we go. You're going first. Okay. I'm going first. Hello, everybody. This is Burl Apps. It's sick and tired with Burl Apps on Fun 101. Have you had it? I've had it. Sick and tired. This is the show about being sick and tired. You call us. We'll talk about what's bothering you. What are you sick of? We've been sitting at home for a year. Got enough reason to be mad right now. I'm sick of eating the same kind of food every night. Bothers the hell out of me. Anyway, we got a phone call here. Warren. Warren from uh, Burlington. Warren, you're on. Hey, Burl. How you doing, Warren? Well, I'll, be, I'll what, be tired. You, I'll, I'll be honest you with you. It? Um, yeah, I'm sick, sick and tired. tired? I'm, yeah. uh, I, I know it's a little thing. It's a mountain out of a molehill kind of situation, but I feel full of P&V and uh, can't even look my neighbor in the eyeballs anymore. And... Um, well, if you'll hear me out, I'll, t- I'll tell you about it. And I'm, I want to tell you on this show because I know he listens to it. And I, I I'm at the point where, honestly, I don't even care if he hears, hears me say this. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, we, well, uh, just, we share. I'm at, the same, I'm at the same point with my neighbor. I'm I, sick and tired of seeing routine. I've seen, I know what he does all day. Really bothers me. Well, I, I would settle for just watching my neighbor would do all day with a, if that's all he did. But what I... Where I get full of P&V and where I want to rip his face off and throw uh, battery fluid in his open mouth is uh, 
what he does is uh, when I'm looking out the window, I seen him put compost in my composter. Well, that's a bit of a problem. And, well, I'll tell you, if he did it once, you know, that's uh, okay. He put a compost in my composter one time, but it's two or three times a day. And it's like he thinks he has an invisibility cloak, like I can't even see him. I see you doing it, Greg. I see you doing it, Greg. He's doing okay, it right I- now. <laughs> I'm looking out the window, he's freaking doing it right now, putting banana peels in my composter, and the thing of it is, is his isn't even dirty or full. Warn you, uh... Greg, you might if you t- get a little you Christer, might- if you can hear me right now, okay. <laughs> put the banana peels in your own composter, Greg. Okay, War- Warren, can I, uh, can you calm down a little bit? I don't want to have any issues here. Well, it, I don't want to get sued. I thought the show's called Sick and Tired. I'm sick and tired of it is sick sitting and tired, on but, it. I mean, uh, okay, slip you mentioned on those banana something peels, about- Greg. You- do you, you know what the thing these, of it is, is, Burl? The thing listen, of it is, is he sprayed what? out his composter yesterday, so he doesn't okay, want to get Warren, it dirty with his compost, so he puts it in mine. Can you get this? Can you get this guy? Warren, uh, you, you, you can't be talking about battery acid and down, uh, using that as a War and uh, peace. Drink. like to take the whippersnipper to his horn. Okay, I've had okay, enough. Okay, Greg. Okay, we got it. Okay, bye, bye. Okay. Uh, we're going to, we're going to get to another caller here, uh. Another thing that's been bothering me is, uh, is uh, I'm sick and tired of, my, of, of, of having to see the same movies every night. Or the same, just sitting and sitting and watching a movie every night. Anyway, we got uh, uh, Ken on, Ken, Ken from Barrie. You're on, Ken. Hello. What, what, you sick and tired, Ken? I am sick and tired, yeah. What are you sick and tired of? Making small talk. You tired of that, are you? That's what I just said. And uh, so you decided to call me and tell me, is there a problem? You have, is there too much uh, long-form conversation happening in your life? Yep. Is it you're, uh, you're, you're into small talk or are you sick of the small no, talk? No, no, I'm sick of it. But you seem to be doing it. Yeah, that's the problem of it. Wow. So you're... This is a... Uh, we call this a... Uh, I guess you're a, a... Kind of a sell for this. Like, Anyways, love the show. And, okay, Later thanks now. a lot. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Nice one. Okay. You 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 ready? Yes. <laughs> you ready for yours? <laughs> yeah. Okay, here it goes. Uh, okay. <laughs> Come on. Oh, sorry. Let me start it again here. Okay. Yeah, go on. Okay, sorry. Here we go. <laughs> Hi, my name's Darcy Quagbire, seasonal allergy sufferer, and you're listening to The Pits. This is the college show about Brad Pitt's worst boobies ever. River read through it, more like I slept through it. Uh, <laughs> let's go Fight Club, more like Good Night Club. That was exhausting. 
The departed, more like the who farted, it stank. <laughs> Let's go to the phones. Um, Vanessa, you're on the pits. What do you think is Brad Pitt's worst movie? Hello? Hello? Huh. How are you? Not bad, how are you? You know what's worst Brad Pitt movie? Yeah. Troy. Troy? More like destroy, which is what I did to all existing prints of the movie. Why did you hate it? I hated it because I just found him to be unbelievable as a gladiator. (laughs) Gladiator? Is that what he was supposed to be in that movie? No, was that the movie where he was supposed to eat her? Because I'm glad he ate her. Okay, next call. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was the executive producer on Selma. He was the executive producer on If Beale Street Could Talk. He does have taste. Just not when he's on camera as an actor. Except for that thing that he did with Leo DiCaprio. But Leo DiCaprio could uh, make any movie sing. Let's go back to the phones. Janice. 83 credits on his IMDb, including Babylon, which is in pre-production. Well, Babylon, I thought that's what Brad Pitt does in every single movie he's in. What do you think is Brad Pitt's worst movie? You're on the pits. Yellow, yellow, yellow. Yellow. I'd say Allied. That was terrible. Allied. 2016 bomb. <laughs> it sounds See like, you later. Love love the show. Sounds like you're on uh, Wikipedia or IMDb the way I am. The Mexican. More like the what? The Hexican. Seven. More like rather be in heaven. Put me out of my misery so I don't have to watch that again. Let's go back to the phones for one last call. Thelma and Louise. Remember that? Brad Pitt was in that. Hello, Colin. You're on the pits. What do you think is Brad Pitt's worst movie of all time? Well, I would... Uh, I, uh, I went to, I spent $5.99 renting that Ad Astra last year, and boy, that was terrible. Stupid space movie. Of all the movies that he's made, you think that's the worst? Well, I don't even know what happened. I fell asleep like three quarters in. It's too long. It's annoying. My wife was loved it, but I hated it. I fell asleep during the opening title sequence. Is it just me? I just don't get Brad Pitt. I don't like uh, Fury either. It was a stupid war movie. Didn't ever see it. Do you know, I'm going to tell you something. Brad Pitt peaked. In 1989, when he was on an episode of Growing Pains in which he played the character Jeff. And he was at head of the class in the same year in which he played a character Chuck. Ever since, everything he's done is garbage. And lets you count the episode he did in 1989 of 30-something called Love and Sax. Anyway, thanks for calling. Thanks for listening to The Pits. Oh, I'm still on. I wanted to talk about Sheila Buff. He's pretty good. See, is it Shia or Shia? Shia! Yeah. More like Babaya. (laughs) 
I need to work on my hang up and dial tone. No, no, that was good. You don't even have um, the opportunity to hear click anymore, do you? No, you don't. We got rid of our landline. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm going to tell you. One of the uh, one of the highlights of this calendar year was strutting into Bell with my modem and saying, "Here you go, fellas." And the, honestly, the guy was like, "Chuck it in the bin." And I looked in the bin, and there were like eighteen Bell modems. No. Yeah, it was like no. eleven a.m., and they like that was the bin was already full for the day. Oh my god! The Bell bin. Oh man, people are burling the bells yeah. out. And I was like, uh, he said, "Do you have your account number?" And I said, "No, um, but I, I'll have to ask my wife. It's in her name. She can find it." And he was like, "All right, just chuck it in the bin." <laughs> it was a conversation he's had to have a whole bunch. Ah, chuck it in the bin. Just chuck it in the bin. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. You want me to do one more? Yes. Or you want to? <laughs> Yes, I do. Okay, here we go. I'm about to hit this. <laughs> hey, how's it going? This is Two Hots with Joe Vanelli. <laughs> A one-on-one talk show where I get to opine about music and songwriting and I have a very special guest today on my show I would say being his muse was one of the highlights of my life is my brother Gino Vanelli uh, hey Gino would you get to it you're the only person I know in the history of hosting a show who uses a personal pronoun in someone else's intro. <laughs> you tell people how it is for you to be my brother. <clears throat> what kind of intro is that? I I was just you know just having fun with you, Gino. You know why? Why don't you try something more like a next guest? I've been fortunate enough to stand on the coattails of our next guest, as they've sold millions of records around the world, songs you've heard of, such as. What's the one about the sun going down in the Arizona Plains? Wild Horses. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wild Horses. I wrote that in the bathroom. You wrote the lyrics. I wrote the music. Remember that? Yeah, but people talk about the lyrics. Nobody talks about the melody, Joe. I, I just want to stop. I mean, I, it was an issue with me that... I just want to stop bickering with you all the time. Well, you wanted the, uh, the, the drummer c- c- doesn't shut up the whole song. He's playing his hi-hats up and down, up and down. I'll show you what I'm talking about. It drives me crazy. Yeah, but you don't have the right brushes to paint Listen. and express right it musically. Here he goes. Listen, just... What's he doing now? Why do you have to go crazy? Just Listen. Oh, I'm listening. He really goes up. Listen. I mean, so he's going crazy on the hi-hats. You let him do that. 
I mean, his song How was a hit, but he went, Joe, he went crazy. How come you examine every song through the lens of a drummer? It's weird. Because you had to hire that guy. I told you, I wanted uh, David Garibaldi on that, like in Wild Horses. But you got to hire your buddy. And he's up uh, with the crazy with the hi-hats all the time. You know, Drive me crazy. The only complaint, you should have seen when you weren't there. The only complaint I ever get is in black cars, there's too much synth. That hey. do Black cars look better in the shade. There's a bit the there. Maybe cool, but the is too much. So whatever. It's still okay. It's on the charts for about two years. Anyway, Joe, I I'm still waiting for a first question. Oh, what's it? Uh, Would so you like to be your like... brother? Is that it? Yeah, that's what I was yeah. going to say, Gino. Well, it's that's it's it. fine. Uh, let me ask you. Let's play Boomerang Interview. What's it like to be my brother? See if you can say something nice. Well, I mean, you, if you like getting beat, bullied your whole life ever, since you were a kid, telling you I'm uh, ugly, uh, saying your mom and dad, mom and pops like you better, uh, you, you know, you always busting my balls, you used to make fun of my car. You make fun of my car right now. I can't bust you your say, balls, what the hell Joe, they're too small. What? Well, if we're telling tales out of school, you have tiny little craisins. What are you talking about? <laughs> Your balls look like someone left them outside in the sun. No. It's like it's like if a dog poos on a pool deck in August, and then after two weeks, it's, they're like craisins. That's what your balls look like. Okay, all right. That's just ridiculous. It's like, if you, ate, it's like if you ate a marshmallow and okay. rolled around in freshly right, cut that's grass. that's enough. Let's move on. Listen. So, from in the 90s, when we did our tour of America, and you said uh, we was going to be bigger than we were, but we weren't. Oh, is that what so we what did? Was up with, what was up with that? Is that what we did? We did our tour? You said we was going to be bigger than you, too, is exactly what you said. You said, see that, Bono? I can do that. No. And we never did that. You, it's because he's more good looking than you. He's not even as tall as you are. He's got those stubby fingers. You're not and remembering you st- it properly, Joe. You were standing with Kaneki. I you st- and nah. I said, I'm going to be bigger than you two. I was talking about no, you and no. I am. So that was true. That's not what you meant. You were talking about Bono because it was a with or without you was playing. Remember? Yeah, and I said, I'm going on tour with or without you, but you still came. <laughs> You, that's the you, thing. You, you don't. Just, you never pick up the hint. Okay. Anyway, moving on. So now, uh, you know, you you're back in Montreal, hanging out more. Uh, how you been dealing with the the pandemic, not touring and stuff? That that's your question. Well, I know we live together. We've been staying in a basement. What are you gonna do? You know what? The first thing I'm gonna do. I'm going to compliment you, Joe. What's that? That was a good question that you asked. That was a question that people would maybe want to know the answer to. Could you talk about maybe, you know, the the virtual reality idea you have of new concerts for 2022? Yeah, I'm going to do a hologram concert. I'm going to put on the hologrammies. It's like an award show for people doing virtual concerts. Well, 
we get to take our own awards home? Well, I don't think there's any we about it. It's going to be Gino versus you, just Gino? Well, here's the thing. I was thinking of starting a second award show called The Second Banana. And I could submit you for, like, The Second Banana Awards. It would be like you, Oates, Andrew Ridgely from Wham, uh, Sonny, uh, who else? Uh, Meg, Meg White. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm, so, I'm sick and tired of being the other guy. Yeah, me That's too. Actually, I've never been the other guy. So when you did that album cover for the best and beyond, it's you and just those cowboy boots. Yeah. What was that all about? Well, okay, you should have stopped after how's the pandemic between you? Because this question's stupid. We're done. I told you this was stupid. We're done. Ah, oh, Gino and Joe. Okay, I got one more in the tank. You got one more in the do tank? Do you have another okay. song? I sure do. Um, yes. Indigo and I back. built a leprechaun trap yesterday for St. Patrick's Day. So my host yeah. of this show is going to be Irish. Um, as a shout out to Indigo. She was really like her teacher, who is my sister-in-law, said, you know, we're going to build leprechaun traps. Um, and uh, just so you know, like engineers have helped build the best ones of these in the world, but no one's ever caught a leprechaun. Um, nice. So awesome. she was really hoping oh. that we would catch one and we didn't. <laughs> yeah. um, I saw the. Uh, is, yeah, is there a little, a little fake gold coin in there? Yeah, it, like just to really get you into it. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, Maybe stuff. that's the picture we should use for this episode. Yeah, um, that's awesome. So here's what it is: we put a, a gold coin on top and taped it down and cut out the cardboard, so it's a trap. So the idea is: hey, there's a party inside here. People are trading gold coins. Your first one's free. You can have this one. So the idea is a leprechaun would stand on that uh, piece of cardboard to get their gold coin, and they'd fall down through and be trapped. Um, and Carol That's was like, nice. Indy, like, imagine if we came out here and there was like a little leprechaun scurrying around like a mouse trapped in the box. Like, oh, we don't man. want that. Like <laughs> and then he was like, I know, I just kind of wanted to see one. That would have been way too much. I know. Oh, let me out of here. Let me out of here. Okay, so you ready for the jam? Yes. Here it comes. (laughs) Good one. Hi, I'm Phil McGillicuddy, and welcome to For Rod's Sake, where we tackle all aspects of fishing. Are you hooked? We're going to share tips and tricks for how to fill your box with fish. My guest this week is an expert on catching the common carp. I'd like to welcome Colin McDowell. Colin, are you there? Hey, how are you? How you doing? Good, thanks for calling, Colin. 
So oh, you're no talking problem. about catching the common any... carp, and when we were talking off the line real quick, you said you might have some ideas for what people could use as bait. Why don't I you do? start at the start and tell people what they might use as bait to catch a common carp? Well, you don't know what you realize it or don't, but you put a little bit of corn to start. That's first. And then you go and you get yourself a little feet juice and you put that there. I'm sorry, I'm having trouble hearing you. Did you say feet juice or beet juice? I said beet juice. Beet? And then you go back. Like Beetlejuice? Like the movie Beetlejuice, but beet juice? Now you to take a nip off the, off the stick, some beef, and you put that on there after all these things. And then you catch the best, the biggest carp you did in your life. Maybe using fruits and vegetables by comparison, you could tell the people what the biggest common carp you'd ever caught was. Harsh. Had to be the 23 pounder I said I got on a, on a lake. <laughs> what size common carp was it? It's a bottom feeder number 49 with a black face. So would you say it was about the size of a watermelon? It's not bigger than two watermelons, I'd say. Maybe three. Lengthwise or roundwise? Girth or width? I mean, if you squish the middle one. So if you were going to prepare a common carp to serve on the barbecue, what way would you prepare it first? You break it, take the knife and stab <laughs> it out right behind the ears and you come down the middle and you straft off the back and you make sure all the fins are off it. You get to the middle, you throw in intestines and all the shit and you're all set. I'm sorry, I just missed uh, that entire thing. Can you repeat it, please? Ah, oh, yeah, rewind it and check it later. Okay, in addition to being uh, an expert on the common carp, you've often been known to catch a Nile tilapia. What is your best oh, advice for bait? Oh, yeah, just gonna take a bit of rub from the middle of your teeth down there, between your arse and your sock. Oh, jeez. Do you mean your cassette? Yeah, little... <laughs> you take some gravy from your cassette. You rub it on a piece of French stick. You throw that in there. You get the biggest goddamn tilapia of your life. <laughs> on occasion, I remember you telling me about a trip you took to Canada. And in northern Manitoba, you caught a northern pike the size of a DC-8. What were you using for bait? <clears throat> that one's a one time I... Take my fellow buddy's eyeball and plucked it out and spit on it. I I missed I missed that entire thing. Would you mind repeating it? I said I took my buddy, my mate, and plucked his eyeball out. Just popped it on the line and threw it in there. I got the biggest goddamn fish you've ever seen in your life. Well, that's exciting. Um, just in uh, in conclusion, before I let you go. Any words of advice that you might have for people that have been trying and trying to catch some but can't catch anything but a cold? If you can't fish, you can't fuck. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time and wisdom. I appreciate you sharing it. Always a pleasure. Have a great day. I'm Phil McGillicuddy. 
This has been For Rod's Sake, where we tackle all aspects of fishing. Hope yous were hooked. We'll talk to yous again. That guy's hardcore. <laughs> crazy guy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> He's using taint gravy to catch carp. That's disgust. <laughs> it's like those those English guys I sent that video, those tough guys. Did you watch that? No. The guys that lock the guy down and there's two big guys and they go and there's a little guy and the two big guys lock their legs and arms over the the other guy's arms Whoa. and legs so he's pinned in the middle. And the guy's like, oh, you're in trouble now when they finally got him pinned. And another guy comes and wipes his arse on the guy's face. No. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like just a, a rub-ski, dub-ski. I remember... Like um, the, one guy, the one guy that does it has, like, missing two fingers on his one hand. Like, for sure, from, like, a couple weeks before one of their pranks. I had a, a buddy named Trevor who was one of these guys there. And Trevor had a German shepherd named Shelley. And all day long he'd go, Hello, Shell. Hello, Shell. As a good go. And uh, I golfed with him. And he had a five iron and a putter. Just like three on one putt over and over and over Come on, again. Just crushing it. Nothing the whole flashy, day. nothing in the woods, mm. nothing in the water. Just, just straight. Responsible, straight as an arrow, Bunting right near the hole. Tap it in. Yep. Yeah. Doesn't matter. If you leave Shooting. your bird in your bag, more often than not, you're better off, right? You mean like if you don't try and hit it yeah. as hard as you can? Well, yeah, definitely. If you can just. Punt it out there 200 yards straight once for your drive and then hit it 100 yards straight, you're fine. Yeah. You can play golf. When was the last time you played golf? Uh, I played once or twice in the summer. It wasn't much just because of the pandemies. The pandy. The pandy. Is this summer going to be golf-a-rama? I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully. It looks like it's going to be an early spring. It's spring now, and it's actually getting warm. This weekend's supposed to be 15 degrees here. What? Looking forward to that. Yeah, the lake's actually thawing. What? Yeah. We had a couple sneaky 16ers, and then suddenly colder than ever. Oh. And if, once you've tasted the warmth, to have it go extra cold and windy is the worst. A sneaky numbski. Yep. When it just, yeah. Numb chomsky. You're like, I think I'm gonna put away. <laughs> I think I'm gonna put away all the winter coats. Nope, too soon. Um, we've been skating <coughs> both at the uh, oval in town and uh, on the lake at my in-laws' cottage. Man, mm -hmm. few simple free experiences are as pleasurable as skating on yeah. a frozen lake in Canada. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good times. Super good, bud. I see. I've been seeing buds. Well, not now. I wouldn't be touching the lake now. But there were people last week just skating anywhere all around it. What? Whoa! Pretty cool. It was actually the surface was because it got warm, but then got really cold. Like 
minus 13 for three days. That's People all you need. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Because she'll all fall you apart need. quick. Once the thaw comes, oh. forget it, bud. I got the bidding war blues, bud. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> it's been no fun. You know, well, I've been in probably 10 bidding wars oh. in this last whatever month. <clears throat> and uh, I got so used to losing that I know I'm going to lose straight up. Oh. But I, I, but you're not losing when it goes over what you want to pay. It's just, it, it is what it is. That's the thing. But it's just, people are willing to pay like 200 300,000 over asking. I just don't understand how that's allowed as a thing when you're like if you're selling this happened to us once. Uh we we thought we had the highest bid, which we did. It was just us and another person. And then <clears throat> instead of us winning the house cuz we had a higher bid, they just use our bid to bid the other one up and uh, it, it, I, I'm sure that they told them the other people that our bid was higher because it was like our bid was the highest bid and their bid was $160,000 more. Like, it's like, no way. There's no way. So it's just that's the kind of stuff is going on where there's actually deceit happening with the agents. You know, other agents are are willing to like be greasy. So it's it's really like the wild west and it's frustrating it makes you want to just like think about you know what i think i'm just gonna rent because it's just ridiculous well i was having this conversation with my friend Jarrett yesterday who's a realtor and he's like it's a little frustrating to even know what to tell people who are like what do you think we should offer if something's listed for 500 is yeah. 575 <laughs> enough and then you find out it went for 690 so that was his yeah, advice too. Like, you know what? What what are you comfortable paying with? If you if you offer three eighty five and it went for four, would you be bummed out? The greasiest thing is when uh, an owner puts their house up at say let's say nine ninety nine, but they want one point three. Yeah. So they put it on for nine ninety nine. They get an offer for one two, and instead of giving the house to them for that they pull the house off the market and they put it back up again at one three like that's happening now where it's like that's beyond like it's basically like having an auction for something and then saying no we're gonna do it again tomorrow or next week like really this um, is buying a house the other the, the crap you have to go through to put an offer in get a deposit check all that stuff and then they pull it off like really um that's the thing. It's crazy. I remember when we were listing this flip, Carol was like, well, let's list it for what we need to get out of it. Like, no games. Just list it for a price that you think is reasonable and fair in the current market and then hope you get that. But I think the strategy for listing below that is because, for example, if you list at $7.99, then people who have budgets up to 8 might think, well, we should throw our hat in the ring because we might get a sniff. Even though yeah. the owners might think, um, they're going to get they're nine or over nine, yeah. But and they won't be happy if they get, you know, that's the the list price isn't the price at all. Yeah, and that's the other thing is lenders are now saying that they're not paying. They're they're not. If you come up with three hundred thousand more than the list price, then 
the bank is going to say, hey, you got your mortgage here for a million, but you paid 1.3. That doesn't mean we're covering that 300,000. The house isn't worth that. That's the list price for the house. Right. So you're going to have to come up with that 300 grand by yourself. I'm going to drop some science on you, bro. I'm going to drop some science on you, bro. Something is only worth what someone else is willing to pay for it. And yeah, I am reminded not, I'm reminded of this in my freelance life all the time when people say, hey, what would your rate be to do a one-hour keynote? And I say, well, typically it's this. And they're like, oh, man, well, it's not worth that. I'm like, okay, it's not worth that to you maybe, but a lot of other people are happy to pay that. So you yeah. determine your worth. And same thing with your house to a degree. Mm. You determine what it's worth and what you need to get out of it. People can choose to pay that or not, but no one can say, no, it's not worth that. Well, I know, but like putting it up and then selling, saying this is what it's worth and then saying, no, that's not enough is where the line starts to go. What is happening here? Like, that's not that's not normal business. No, it's also greasy. And I would find it hard. Like, how do you manage your emotional connection to a place? Because you want to love it and be excited. It's a big purchase. Yeah. I'm also also seeing houses being bought and relisted right away wow. for like 50 more, Whoa. 50 grand more. Yeah. That's happening a lot. You'll see it sell, sold, relisted, 50 more. Like I think this is people that just prime, all they do is, is invest it. Wow. They're investing and they're just trying to make money. So that's what we're dealing with, not necessarily families that want to buy a home. It's people with money that are just, using real estate as a way to make more money. Wow. Yeah. It's really intense. Crazy stuff, bot. It is crazy. Well, that's we'll what you on your search, good. bot. Yeah, thanks. And you have a good week. You do, bot. Good, nice weekend coming up. Hey, bot. Good job, bot. <laughs>